Welcome to the World Video Bible School podcast. For this month, we want to focus on the importance in our families and our homes. The home can be a place of comfort, love, peace, and joy. However, Satan desires to destroy the home and make it a place of discontent, neglect, and discord. Marriage is not just about your happiness, but your holiness. Putting Jesus first in your marriage prevents Satan from getting a foothold in your marriage. Join Mike Vestal in this first of two lessons as he presents practical points from Colossians 3 on how to develop a Christ-centered marriage. You know, a lot of people get married and they're looking for the ideal and they end up discovering that marriage is often an ordeal. But there's good news. No matter how bad, how devastating a marriage may seem, God can help it. God can heal it when both the husband and the wife are willing to humble themselves before Him and to seek His will and to seek His way and to honor the marriage relationship. No matter how great a marriage may be, God can make it even better. And that's the wonderful news about Christ-centered marriage. Think about this. What if marriage is not just about your happiness, but about your holiness? What if marriage is not so much about you and your spouse? What if it's really, what if it's ultimately about you and your God? And the idea behind Christ-centered marriage is just that. Marriage really isn't so much about happiness, although that's involved. It's about our holiness. Marriage isn't just about our relationship with our spouse, our husband, our wife. Our relationship with God is really at stake in a marriage so very often too. Christ-centered marriage. Well, what is Christ-centered marriage? What does a Christ-centered marriage look like? Uh, that's really what this particular session's all about. And when you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, when we turn to the very Word of God, we can see some qualities of Christ-centered marriage. We can see some characteristics of marriage that will truly bless us because we are seeking not only happiness, but holiness. We're seeking not just to have a marvelous relationship with our husband or our wife, but we're seeking to have a great relationship with our God. So in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, we can see this characteristic or quality of Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage consists of two people, a husband and a wife, who have been raised with Christ. When we're thinking about Christ-centered marriage, ideally we're talking about two people who are Christians, two people who belong to Christ. Look at the previous chapter of Colossians. Colossians 2 and verse 12, it speaks of having been buried with Christ and then it speaks of having been raised with Christ as we believe in the powerful outworking of God as we come to the Lord. You know, there are a number of passages that speak of responding to the love and grace of God in the cross of Jesus. And they speak of how we need to come to Him in faith, in repentance, turning from our sin because we want to go the way the Lord would have us. The Bible talks about the necessity of baptism 
to put on Christ, to be raised with Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 27, Romans 6 verses 3 through 5. And oh friend, it's important not just to marry a Christian, but to marry a faithful Christian. I know that there are many people through the years who have married non-Christians and have later brought them to the Lord. That's really wonderful. It's great. And that makes me so happy when I hear of these occasions. However, I think most people would acknowledge it is better to marry someone who's a Christian, but not merely a Christian. Sometimes a marriage might consist of two Christians, and yet they have entirely different goals and aspirations, and they exhibit entirely different character. It's important to marry a faithful Christian. And in speaking about this, it's so important to recognize being raised with Christ and having a Christ-centered marriage means that you marry a faithful Christian and that you help that individual become even more faithful. Here's why this is so crucial, why it's so necessary. First of all, when both people really love Jesus and belong to Jesus, they are Christians, then they are going to be on the same page, spiritually speaking, in their lives. And they will be able to encourage one another and they both should seek to honor what God says regarding marriage and how people should respond to it. But there's a second reason why this is so important. You need to marry a faithful Christian, my friend, because by doing this, you'll always have someone to encourage you to grow in Jesus. And ultimately, this faithful person will encourage you to go all the way to heaven. When you think about marrying a Christian, marry a faithful Christian, someone who will help you to go to heaven. As you look at Colossians chapter 3 and you see the qualities, the traits, the characteristics of Christ-centered marriage, here's another important truth, another great principle to consider. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 indicate that we should seek the things that are above. What a marvelous thought. How beautiful when a husband and a wife Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. When you stop and think about it, too many marriages aim too low. They seek the things that are below. They seek the things that are earthly. We are to seek the things that are above. We are to set our affections on the things that are above. A Christ-centered marriage is engrossed not with the here and now, but with the hereafter. A Christ-centered marriage is really into eternity and the heavenly. It's a matter of devotion. It's so easy to get wrapped up. It's so easy to be enamored with the things of this world, the things that are here below, the earthly then, friend, we need to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. Where your treasure is, there, there your heart will be also. Our treasure should be where Jesus is in heaven. 
And that'll really make a difference in our marriage. It will make our marriages Christ-centered. As we look at the book of Colossians, look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And we'll see a third quality of Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage sees Jesus as their life. Jesus should be the very life of one's marriage. What a great thought. That way one's life will be blessed, one's marriage will be blessed, and eternity will be beautiful. Christ is our life. One can't envision life in a marriage apart from Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come to give life and to give it more abundantly. Isn't that a great thought? How true that should be in marriage. In John 14 and verse 6, the Lord taught, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Oh, Jesus should be one's life. And that should most certainly show itself in marriage. Think about this passage in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Christ is our all. And then again in Colossians 1 and verse 18, that in all things, that in all things, and that's going to include our marriages, He, that is Jesus, might have the preeminence. To be preeminent means that He is before all things, that He is above all things, that Jesus is beyond all things. Above, before, and beyond all things. Yes, Jesus. He's to be considered preeminent in our lives. He gives life. He is life. And He gives life to our marriages. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 is a well-known verse, even though it's often misapplied. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When you think about that passage, when it comes to marriage, many people give Jesus a place in their marriages. Maybe they attend services. Maybe they worship. Maybe they pray. Jesus is given a place, but He's not really given preeminence. You think about Matthew 6.33, and some people give Jesus priority in their marriages. Oh, they talk a lot about the Bible. They are people that are quite dependable when it comes to worship and when it comes to serving the Lord in just so many ways. And while they give Jesus priority in their lives and in their marriages, they don't give Him preeminence. Really, Jesus might be second in command. He might be the runner-up in the beauty pageant. He might be on someone's top ten list. But Jesus is not given preeminence. When you look at Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, a Christ-centered marriage sees Jesus as its very life. They can't even imagine life apart from Him. Jesus is given preeminence. He is above all things before all things, and beyond all things. Fourth, 
as we think of the traits of Christ-centered marriage, we can look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. And Colossians 3, 5 through 9 indicates that Christ-centered marriage knows what to put off. Some things have got to be put to death. There has to be some funerals in a marriage. Some things have just got to die. And when you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, certain behaviors and certain actions are spoken of, and they are spoken of very strongly. They must be put to death. Not only will these type of actions, these activities, hurt a marriage, they may well cost somebody their soul. So a Christ-centered marriage knows what to put to death. When you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, some sins that are mentioned in particular are sexual immorality. It needs to be put away. It needs to be put to death. Impurity. Passion that's dishonorable, that doesn't really look to God and His glory. Evil desires. It's to be put to death. It's to be given a funeral. As you look at Colossians 3, the Bible also indicates that covetousness, which is idolatry, is to be put to death. Oh, how this inordinate desire for someone or something can get in the way of Christ-centered marriage. When you think about things that are to be put to death, one of the things that's to be put to death is anger, wrath, malice. Oh, how often we have anger issues and how that negatively affects the relationship of marriage. Sometimes slander and obscene talk can be hurtful to a relationship, can be devastating to a marriage. Lying, that is another sin that's to be put away. There needs to be a funeral. A Christ-centered marriage knows what needs to be put to death. It knows what needs to be put away. And sins like these should be put to death in every marriage for the good of the marriage relationship and for the good of each one's relationship with God. Then we come to a fifth trait of Christ-centered marriage. We see this trait in Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we see this trait. A Christ-centered marriage, a Christ-centered marriage is constantly being renewed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If I could just sit down and talk to someone who's getting married about the things that are most important in marriage, if it's really to be a great marriage, a source of tremendous blessing, I would talk to them about the priority, the necessity of constantly renewing ourselves in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can't make it in life and we can't make it in marriage without Jesus. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. 
I would encourage people to keep in mind that in our marriages, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Marriage is such a, a relationship. It's so challenging and encouraging and blissful but it can be one of the most difficult things that we ever do in our lives because we have to rely more on our Lord and we also have to do much to encourage and rely on our spouses, our husband or our wife. So as I think about it, I think about the words of Jesus in John 15 verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about that in relationship to your marriages. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We need to constantly be renewing ourselves in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember the words of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? We would do well to apply that passage to our marriages. I plead with you, by the mercy of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A Christ-centered marriage involves this great desire to constantly be renewed in the knowledge of Jesus. Oh, how we need a regular, a constant intake of Jesus in order to be strong in our marriages and in order to have healthy, vibrant, positive relationships. Then we come to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. In Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, we read of a sixth quality, a sixth quality about Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage knows what to put on. Colossians 3, 5 through 9 had let us know that a Christ-centered marriage needs to kill some things. Some things need to be put to death. Some things need to be stamped out. But when you look here at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, some things need to be put on. They need to be cultivated. They need to be grown. They need to be greatly desired. When we look at Colossians 3, 12 through 14, there is a magnificent catalog, a listing of some qualities that would help any marriage, that would help any relationship with anyone compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And then notice Colossians 3 verse 14. Above all things, above all things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, the bond of completeness. When we think about it, how important it is that a Christ-centered marriage properly emphasizes what to put on. 
it would be great if every day when we woke up, when we got out of bed, we not only prayed God and thanked Him for the day, we asked God to help us put on the right things so that we could relate to our husband or our wife the way that He would have us, so that we could relate to them in a Christ-centered way. Look at this seventh trait of Christ-centered marriage. It can be seen in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. A Christ-centered marriage lets the peace of Christ rule their hearts. And these people are thankful, they're grateful for all that God is and does in their life. When you think about the peace of Christ and how it's to rule in a marriage, there's so many things that can eat away at the fabric, the fiber of a marriage relationship. Sometimes it's worry. Sometimes it's stress. Sometimes it's discouragement. Sometimes it's disagreement. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, the Lord said, Peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world knows, leave I with you. Oh, the peace that comes from God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, because of Jesus, because of what God has done through Jesus, we can have peace with God. Surely that should show itself in our relationships and especially our marriages. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes through the Holy Spirit, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and thoughts in Christ Jesus. Oh, a marriage can know the peace of Christ even in times of stress, of disappointment, of disagreement. And that marriage can be thankful. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Psalm 23 and verse 1. And when you think about this quality from Colossians 3.15, letting the peace of Christ rule our hearts and being thankful, thankful for His goodness, God is good all the time. He's faithful. He is dependable. And He gives His people peace. When we look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, we see an eighth quality, an eighth quality of Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage lets the Word of Christ dwell richly within, richly and with all wisdom. I don't think that there's any way to emphasize the importance of this enough. A Christ-centered marriage lets the Word of Christ dwell richly within it and with all wisdom. Think about the words of Jesus, our Lord, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. 
Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness in your marriage? How crucial, how essential it is if we'd have a Christ-centered marriage. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered Satan by saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How are our marriages answering the devil? How are our marriages dealing with life's difficulties? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How we need to let the word of Christ dwell richly in our marriages with all wisdom. As we think about this particular quality, this particular characteristic, I'm reminded of the Old Testament prophet Job. In Job 23 and verse 12, he said, Your word have I esteemed more than my necessary food. Job is indicating that he looked to God and his word and he valued it. He treasured it more than food, life-giving, life-sustaining food. He looks to God's word to give him life and to sustain life. And what a message for us in our marriages. The prophet Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 15 and verse 16, Your word was found and I did eat it. Your word was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. A Christ-centered marriage lets the word of Christ dwell in it richly with all wisdom. Look in the ninth place at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 again. See this quality of a God-centered, a Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage sings and offers praise to God. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs are to be sung and we are to sing with grace in our hearts. While admittedly that passage is written initially to Christians and has application to a congregational setting, shouldn't it be true of our marriages as well? Shouldn't our marriages be full of singing and of praise to God? After all, we have so much to sing about. If both husband and wife are Christians, oh, to sing God's praise. Oh, to the praise of His glory. That's what we sing. That's what we're all about. Ephesians 1, verses 6 and 12. When we think about singing and giving praise to God, the Bible says, I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Isn't it marvelous when a husband and wife can together sing God's praise? They're saying that we have something to sing about. Much like the psalmist in Psalm 34 and verse 3. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, together. In James 5 and verse 13, James asked, Is any cheerful? Is any merry? Let him sing praise. How important it is that a marriage be filled with singing praise to God. The Lord has been mindful of us. As we look at a tenth quality, a tenth characteristic of Christ-centered marriage, we can look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, we see this final quality that should be emphasized in Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage seeks to do all to the authority or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. A Christ-centered marriage seeks to do all Whatever the passage says in Colossians 3, 17, whatever in word or deed, that's a fairly sweeping comment, a sweeping statement. Whatever in word or deed, do all. Not just some, not just a great deal, but do all in the name of the Lord. And oh, how important it is for us to remember what this statement means to a marriage. It means that all we do, in word or deed, everything, we want to have the approval. We want to have the authority of God. It's such a shame that many marriages never give any consideration at all to the will of God and to doing things in His name. How important, how necessary it is to have people who have Christ-centered marriages. Whatever in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord. By His authority, longing for His divine approval and give thanks. Give thanks as we consider this. A Christ-centered marriage can be one of the greatest blessings in the world. The marriage is blessed. Your husband, your wife will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. The church, the congregation of which you're a part, that congregation will be blessed. You can leave an impact that's godly and good for generations to come because a Christ-centered marriage seeks to do all in the name of the Lord. We've just examined God's Word and we have seen ten traits, ten qualities, ten characteristics of a Christ-centered marriage. It's fascinating to see the way the Word of God addresses everyday life, everyday relationships, and how the Word of God not only helps us deal with our lives here on earth, but prepares us for eternity. 
when you think about Colossians 3, 1 through 17, it's a fascinating passage, a powerful passage. But I think it's important to look at the verses that follow. Colossians chapter 3, 18 and following deal with family relationships, beginning with marriage, going to parenting, and then to relationships with one's employer or the employee relationship. God's Word serves as the foundation for every relationship. And this is such an important thought. Please get this. It will change your life and it will bless you. Every relationship in this world is to be looked at it's to be examined, it's to be scrutinized by our relationship to Jesus. We relate to others as we relate to Him. We connect with others relationally as He would have us relate to all of these others. So when we think about marriage, Marriage is a wonderful thing, a great blessing, but marriage does not exist just for our, our happiness. Marriage exists, created by God Himself, for our holiness. Marriage is not just about you. It's not just about you and your husband. It's not just about you and your wife. Ultimately, marriage is about you and your Lord. How you will relate to that person in Jesus. Christ-centered marriage is so beautiful. Oh, I hope it will be a matter of emphasis in your own marriage. It's never too late to emphasize a Christ-centered marriage. And when you do... When you do, I'll guarantee you this. Your marriage will be a taste of heaven.